Welcome to Money Memoirs, a taboo-breaking interview series sharing intimately uncensored conversations about money. I am Barry Tesler, a financial therapist, author, and creator of The Art of Money, my year-long money school and global community. Join me as I connect with brave folks from all walks of life to explore their experiences with money from their greatest struggles to triumphant celebrations, to lessons learned, and unexpected discoveries along the way. These interviews are raw, heartfelt money stories. They're vulnerable, inspiring, and always authentic. These interviews are a snapshot of the personal connection and practical support you'll find in my year-long money school, The Art of Money. The Art of Money is a holistic framework that integrates money healing, money practices, and money maps. And it blends together therapeutic body-based practices with so many real life tools that you need to create healthy, sustainable change in your money life. If you'd like to learn more, head to barrytesler.com. For now, get comfy and cozy for another intimately uncensored money memoir. Today, I have the honor of interviewing Keisha Shields, and I'm going to read some of her bio for you first. And Keisha is a powerhouse speaker and certified women's leadership coach and consultant. I met her live at the Gaia Lead event in Santa Barbara last May. We were both speakers, and I just kept being so drawn to her and her energy, and I think we just kind of circled each other throughout the whole conference, and then mm -hmm. afterwards we were like, why didn't we hug or handshake or <laughs> talk more, and we just, it was so nice to connect right afterwards and say, hey, we really, would, it was great to just see each other and hear each other speak, and we want to connect more. Um, Absolutely. So that, yeah, so that's how I first saw Keisha and got to know her a bit, and I'll share a little bit more. She is a story activist and the founder of Legacy in Stilettos, where she works deeply with high-level women to support them in getting out of their way, trusting their own intuition, and having the courage to turn their most sacred and often vulnerable life experiences into a powerful money-making legacy that can change the world and that can leverage for the rest of their lives. Keisha's expertise into how stigmas and stereotypes can keep high-achieving women leaders, career girls, entrepreneurs, and those in the C-suite from believing bigger and truly becoming who they are, divinely destined to be, stems from overcoming stigmas on their own journey and ultimately discovering that those experiences were designed to equip her to serve most fully in her higher calling. A humanitarian, Keisha is most proud of her time being a foster parent for high-risk children and teens. As an African-American woman from the Deep South, Keisha brings a level of freshness and diversity to the often cookie-cutter leadership marketplace. Keisha's intuitive ability to connect on the deepest level with women has been one of her greatest assets. Thank you so much for being here, Keisha. Yay! Welcome. Thank you. <laughs> hey, Beth, she sounds pretty good there. <laughs> it does. It does. Yeah. I got all that just from hearing you speak, just from seeing you, mm -hmm. just from being around you. I was like, uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So thank you. And I love that you reached out, and I was wanting to reach out to you, so it was really nice to just connect after a live event like that and, and be like, I, I want to know you more. I want to connect. Absolutely. More. I'm like, how yeah. did this end? And I didn't get to say hi. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know yeah. we were so close to each other. It was a small, it was only a hundred <laughs> of us. But yeah, that's, I felt like we were circling each other the whole time. Absolutely. And each other from afar. Okay. So it's such an honor to have you on this series of mine where I ask folks to talk about their relationship to money. And that can be exciting, it can be scary, it can be vulnerable, it could be all of the above. Um, I always like to begin by asking you to share a little snapshot of your family. That includes animals always and work life right now. 
um, before we dive into your personal relationship to money, if you can share a little snapshot of life right now and what's important to you. Absolutely. So thank you for having me, Barry. Um, I recently moved back to Georgia after living in Southern California for over a decade. Um, And boy, am I back in culture shock, although I'm from here. (laughs) It has been a very interesting transition. Speaking of pets, my darling diva, who was my poochie for 14 years, she died the week I was actually moving to Georgia with her. She got cancer, like, randomly and was gone, like, a week later. So that was, like, so devastating because it's been me and my dog for, you know, almost 15 years. Um, I am married, and, you know, we are currently – he is incarcerated. I'll just be put it out there. Um, and so we have had this physical separation for some time. And so it's just me. I'm back in Georgia getting reacclimated and preparing for hubby to come home with me probably this year, which is amazing. So my family life is going to be kind of evolving again, but I am married, and that's kind of the end of it. It's just me for now. Mm-hmm. I remember when you were posting about your dog and your dog passing, and it seemed so sudden, and I knew that she was a companion of yours for 14, yes. 15 years. Yes. What was yes. What was her name? What was her name? Diva. Did you say Diva? Yes. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh. Yes, that oh, was Diva. How are you doing with that right now? You know, I'm doing, I'm at a good place now. You know, people who are not pet people don't get it. They don't understand just that connection to a being that is just so spiritually inclined, you know. Um, You know, ironically, before she passed, we were going to do this brand that was called the Six Figure Dog Series, right, which is talking about how, like, living with a pet, how they teach you all these marketing and business perspectives and all this stuff, you know. Um, So she was really integral into everything, but I'm doing well. Thank you. Mm, Okay. So, okay, okay, I'm just going to take a moment with that because I understand. I'm an animal lover, and I lost Mm -hmm. the cat about four years ago, Finny, and I still think of him. I still... I still really think of him, even though I've gotten new cats. But it took me a year and a half before I was ready to get another cat. We're all different, you know. Absolutely, right yes. Timing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So before I dive into your story, I wonder if, you know, in working with high-level women um, and doing consulting, does the topic of money come up? Is that part of your work? Is it not? Do you help women in this way? How do you? Can you share a little bit about that from that perspective? Yes. It comes up, I would say, on the surface about 99% of the time. It comes up overall 100% of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And I say that because oftentimes the women that I am blessed to be able to work with are often not comfortable saying that money is a thing for them. Um, And so once they realize that it's a safe place, a safe space, we often find that a money issue was really the cause of why they landed in my direction. So almost every single time it comes up. So let me get more specific there because are they high earners? Are they – they're obviously very smart – women who, yes. you know, have, you know, a tremendous skill, and yes. is it around their value and worth? Is it asking um, for yes. what they need in the marketplace? Is it that they're such high earners that they feel like um, shame or embarrassment that they don't know, they know parts of money but not other parts of it, and they think they should know everything, and so they shouldn't ask for support because that's silly Mm -hmm. or is that a little bit of the terrain am i hitting on any of it so yeah so there's actually a mixture but there's typically the same few things which i'll share 
So one of the issues is they are often high earners, although some are newly coming into higher earning roles. They're often high earners who are typically um, the only female high earner in their organization. And so a lot of money issues come around that because they either, one, uh, feel that they're not being, their value is not being compensated in comparison to male colleagues. Um, or two, they often feel that they have to stay in a role because of the money because they feel like if they don't, it won't be room for another woman to come in behind them before they leave and get comparable pay. So in terms of the career side, those are the two issues there. In terms of the bulk of my other clients who come, the money issue typically is around the fact that they are being paid well for their expertise, but they know that often they have pieces of their stories that they wish they could just share and put out there, and they worry that if people find out, like, for example, I was to be so afraid that if people found out my husband was incarcerated that I was like, I was going to lose all my clients. I was so worried about how that would affect me financially. And so I hid so much of myself and my life. And a lot of the women who come to me are in that place where they're like, I could actually be earning so much more and doing it in a way that doesn't just take what I've learned but really incorporates who I am and make money doing those things. And so those that's typically the bulk of the women that I get there. They're like, I'm ready to really stand up more as a leader, but I know that I'm going to have to tell more about who I am. And they worry that the money will take a hit if they share their vulnerable secret or their vulnerable piece of their story. They worry that the money will take a hit, although they know that ultimately it's going to be the thing that propels them into legacy. So that's where the bulk of the money stuff comes up with my clients. So, and it's probably all different sorts of vulnerable stories that we just. Yes. That's the thing. If I tell that thing, then. Yes. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So you know this personally. What was it like for you when you were hiding that? And what did it take? What kind of shift needed to happen for you to feel what brave enough strong enough safe enough what what were Mm -hmm. I don't know what your words are before you were just ready I'm going to share this I'm going to share this is part of my real life it was safety for me and the thing that I want to kind of say because it's what I find with the women I tend to work with is I was highly successful not sharing that. So I had a business. I was also a COO in a corporation, all of these things. So for me, it was like, well, why am I going to jeopardize all of that when not talking about it has been completely fine, right? Like I'm making great money. I'm in a leadership position. I have these things. The problem for me was I knew that there was more for me and I, it was always, always at the forefront of my mind. Not a day would go by when I wouldn't have to dodge the, oh, let's have your husband come over for dinner, right? Here's go to the company party. Oh, what about this? Where's your family pictures, right? Like all these things. So there wasn't a day that it wasn't like in my face, and I was completely successful in what I was doing. So for so long I was struggling with why would I – jeopardized what I've built, right, to just share who, more of who I am. And so for me, it was coming to a point where these telling people this one part of my story I knew would actually be the work that I wanted to do in my life. I was good at what I did in corporate, but I knew that wasn't life's work. And I was transitioning to a point where I wanted the freedom to be Keisha. I wanted the freedom to be who I was, who I tended to attract, 
to talk about the things I wanted to talk about, and I knew that that would only come if I happened to share this particular part of what I was. It was a thing in me that I knew was missing, and I knew it was going to be the next level. And that's what made it more difficult. I didn't just wake up one day and go, oh, I want to talk about this thing. It nagged at me constantly. And then when I would engage with other women, let's say in particular women who are married to men who are incarcerated, we'll just take that small example. When In my peer circle, out of, let's say, five people, there would be me, there would be a lawyer, one is a psychiatrist, one is a psychologist, and one is a neurologist. And these are people who are successful in their own right, but no one knew. It was like this secret that you feared. If people knew, it would ruin your credibility, it would ruin your income, it would ruin your professional position, so you just didn't talk about it. And for several of them, that's still their truth today because they are in, they are making money in the way that they desire. But for some of us, we're not making money in the way that we truly want to be making it. And then so oftentimes that's where that piece, uh, that dissonance comes in. And so those are the ones who typically end up coming to me when they know that, you know what, this if I could be doing anything and making the money that I want, this is what I would be doing. Then we typically come from that place. So did you have to leave corporate world to – start speaking about this more and open up your own consulting business? Did, is, that, is that what happened? And so then you for started, me, yeah. oh, go ahead, Barry. Mm-hmm. No, 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 you, you go, you go. I was going to say, for me, I actually had my consulting business while I was working in corporate. So okay. it was something that I always had. I taught luxury branding um, for quite a while, and I also had another arm of my consulting business that did consulting management for corporate presidents and senior vice presidents. So those were pretty much 100% white male, old boys club, right? And so in that line of work, I was Keisha the professional, and that was it. That was all, right? I didn't have the flexibility to really bring the other parts of me into the mix. Um, But when I was working in luxury branding, um, I built this business, working with women who were similar to me, but it was all about how to build a business, making high income, positioning your business a certain way. And what I found was that 100% of the women who came to me for luxury branding actually had a hidden, quote, unquote, secret that they were hiding behind the veil of a high income business. And so most, the bulk of our calls started transitioning to talking about how to get through the stigma, how not to be afraid of what people would think, right? And it was this whole thing, and I went, hold on, wait a minute, right? Wait a minute. And so it just kind of evolved from there. Um, But again, I still had two separate worlds. I still had two separate worlds. I was operating and, you know, my two modes. And so it wasn't until a few years ago when I knew that I wanted to exit corporate all the way. Um, and the role that I was in, primarily it was, and it was a money fear for me because I'm like, I am doing fairly well. I was underpaid compared to my male colleagues. I was the only female. It was in the construction and building industry. Um, I was the only female, and not only was I the only female executive, well, actually, I was, it was, there was another .5. She was half-time that came in right before I left. But I was the only full-time executive for years, and also I'm um, female executive, and also I was the only black in the whole executive suite. And so I had this a huge amount of pressure that I felt on me, I took a lot of abuse that I would not have otherwise taken. It became toxic for me to stay where I was. And so I knew that I was not going to walk out of this and walk back into the same situation. And so for me, it was like, if I walk out of this, I'm going to walk into my truth, right? And that was, for me, a pivotal point was, 
okay, Keisha, either you're going to do it or you're not. And it was just dropping that veil and going, I don't no longer want to be a pawn in anyone's game anymore, right? And so for me, it was like that idea of needing to take control of myself and how I allowed people to use utilize me because I grew up as the good classic good girl. I was in compliance. I was a people pleaser. I was taught to be that way. And so a lot of times I didn't speak up. And I did things that compromised my integrity in those roles. And I knew that I want to make money, lots of money, but I knew that I know I didn't I no longer wanted to sacrifice who I was and who I was becoming, and so that's when I decided to make that pivot and go all in, so that's kind of how that happened. Amazing, and that was all in your early 30s, yeah? That was this all was, in your... Yeah, this was actually in my late 20s, yes. Okay, wow, mm-hmm. wow. Okay, yes. so powerful, so powerful <laughs> to get, I mean, and challenging, like lots of challenging situations that you were in for years um, yes and then finally declaring i'm i cannot do this i'm not mm-hmm. doing this anymore um and you left and have been running your own show and it's amazing to me that there are so many other women w- with similar i mean different stories but similar yes. experiences of hiding mm-hmm. something significant about who they really are yes yeah, and that that yes. impacting their work, that impacting their earning, them being afraid to leave that or to really show up as themselves. And so that's what that's what you do. That's what you do with women. You, Absolutely. You work with yeah women in high level positions who either want to stay in that corporate world or who want to go off and do their own thing, but want to uh, share who they really are and not hide yes. anymore. Yes, these are women who want to, they want to build legacy. And for some of them who choose to stay stay in corporate or whatever small business, government, whatever lane they're in, that some of them want to stay, which is great. And they also want to bring in income and start to build more of their legacy doing work related to their, their hidden story. And so typically that's where I come in. They're like, I'm doing great here, but if I was really thinking about who Keisha is as a leader, it would actually be this. And so typically it's figuring out how to incorporate the other side that no one knows. They are at a place where they want both things to work. They no longer want to neglect um, one side of themselves in the name of making more money. And so that's typically where they are. They're feeling shackled. They're tired of lying about where the husband is, right, or all of these things, you know. And so, yeah, so it's kind of that. You've said the word legacy a few times already. It's my last question for you. And so and, and so we'll, we'll, we'll jump in here and then uh, we'll go to my other questions because legacy is something that, you know, I just turned 50 yesterday. I'm just starting Woo-hoo! to – Yes, thank you. I'm just starting to think about legacy. So I'm just so intrigued and amazed that this is this is a word and a concept that you've been working with for mm-hmm. years um, with yes. your clients, yourself in leadership. Um, can you share a little bit more about, you know, what legacy means? And I'm hearing that in the world that you've been in, there, there's been a lot of, disconnect around mm-hmm. making good money, uh, doing work that you love, that you really believe in, um, fully being yourself, that there's a lot of separate parts there um, or have been, and you work with people to integrate, you know, all of that. So it's not separate. It's not, uh, you know, how a lot of people say, if I'm creative, then I can't make money, you know, or mm-hmm. if I'm spiritual, then I can't make money. All these separate parts. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so... So you've been working on helping people integrate all that, but w- talk to me about legacy and your own legacy. I'm just amazed you're you're in your 30s and you're yes. already talking about this. So sh- share share more, please. Yeah, you know it's funny because I've been talking about legacy since as far as I, I think I was around 11 or 12, right? 
And so I'll yeah. explain that. <laughs> so for me to answer your question, to me, what is legacy? Legacy to me is having a story that's passed down about you after you're gone, right? And so a lot of times we talk about how um, this is why I caution women and men too, but I tend to caution clients with making their their sole source of being known their work. Because I always say as new experts come into the field, as, you know, new technologies and new modalities come up, right, we can easily move down the ranks, you know, in the field, right? It can happen to everyone. And my thing is, well, when the work is no longer being talked about, the, the knowledge bank that you brought to the table, what other things do you want people to be saying about you? And it comes down to, I made a post uh, earlier last year where I asked the question, if the only proof that you existed burned in a fire, would anybody know that you existed? If the only proof vanished, would we know that you existed? And to me, that is legacy, the things that people, even if my credentials burned, if my expertise and my courses vanished and disappeared, would anybody know who I was? Would they know the good things I wanted to do and that I did? And for me, that is legacy. When you think about someone that you admire who's no longer here, someone who inspires you, it's their legacy that's inspiring you. And for me, that's something that's very important to me is I want people to know that I existed, right? That's important to me. I want people to know that I had a mission to do X, Y, and Z. That's important to me. I don't want people to say, oh, she was the former COO or she was the owner of this. Some people say, oh, my gosh, Keisha Shields, yeah, she did this or she talked about this. So for me, that's what legacy is. Where my idea of wanting and needing legacy came from was as a kid growing up in the Deep South in a, you know, very racially tense, even in my generation, there was a lot of racial tension growing up in Georgia, right? Um, And so for me, it was whenever I would ask questions about where do we come from, nobody knew. Like the legacy, the stories have not been passed on, you know, and it's like people just go, oh, well, you're from Africa. Like, well, am I really? And number two, Africa is an entire continent. You know what I mean, right? It's an entire place. It's like you're from the United States, right? That tells me nothing, right? So for me, I always was like, there's something missing. I don't know anything about who I am and where I come from and where my attributes come from. And growing up, I was always exposed to lack. I didn't know that term then, but I remember thinking as I was growing up, like, I don't want my life to be never believing that people only had money or success if they were on TV. I remember thinking that as a kid, like, I don't want to be on TV, but I also want to have success, right? Like, you know, those things. I was the 12-year-old that was planning out my career goals up until age 40, which is when I was going to retire, right? Like this whole, like this whole, you know, kind of life plan that I had because I grew up in an environment where people didn't believe, especially as a black person, they didn't believe that you could have more than. And so for me, it was something that I never resonated with. And it always bothered me that as a black woman, which you are often seen as the lowest on the economic totem pole, that you would never be able to attain your goal just because you were a black woman. And I knew that as a young girl. I was taught that as a young girl. And so for me, this idea of, well, I don't want that. Like, I want people to know that I did good things in this world. I want people to know that. That's where that came from for me when I was a kid. It was 
knowing that, but wait, but wait, I don't want to just live and work and die. Like, I want people to know that I did something, right? And it was typically humanitarian-driven for me at the time. Um, and so that's kind of where that comes from, to answer your the brunt of your question, I believe. Thank you. So, mm-hmm. so powerful, incredibly powerful. Um and it just kind of blew up the word legacy for me instead of, yes, it was about your work and having a mission, but it's also deeper and wider, who you are as a person, who you are as a human, how you impact people, how you yeah. affect people, how I felt you in the room of 100 women, you know, yes. how much yes. I noticed you, how much I, you know, was curious about you. And um, it's just so much more. And it is so much about the work and your mission in the world and there's so much more about the people you touch. Just It yes. just really kind of blew it up for me. And it's so powerful to hear that as a young girl, as a 12-year-old, and maybe even younger, you were asking these questions of where do we come from and what is our story and where are our ancestors from and where, not just Africa, but we're in Africa. Yes. And, and, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Right, yeah. And I was also asking the questions of, well, why won't I be able to own that beautiful house, that stately home in the corner? Why not me, right? Or why won't I be able to be a CEO? Why not me, right? Or why won't I be able to run a worldwide philanthropic organization, which was my goal when I was 11, I had that on my little white plant. Why not me? So for me, it was a lot of that of, well, why not me? Why can't people know that I wanted to change the world and I did the best that I could with what I had? That was kind of a question that I had. Well, why not? Why won't that ever be me? And so fighting against that. mm -hmm. No, keep going. Keep going. So fighting against that. And so fighting against that growing up was why this idea of legacy came into my mind, although as a kid, my understanding of legacy was having money that can be passed down from generation right. to generation, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That That's was the standard definition, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's what it was. And I'm like, well, hell, I want that too because I want my kids to be able to have, you know, a leg up, right? I want my kids to be able to have money to explore their ideas and try different things, right? But that's what I knew it was as, well, passing money down. I'm like, well, I need that also. But as I got older and started to evolve, that's when my understanding of what legacy was, of the word legacy, matched what I had been trying to communicate all along, right? And so I'm happy to see that the definition of it is evolving and becoming more inclusive, I personally feel. But the idea of what legacy represented, which is if all of my proof vanished, what would people be saying about me? Would anybody be talking about me, period, right? Um, That, for me, is kind of where it has evolved to now, which, of course, includes money and my desire to have intergenerational wealth built, I think is super important. So that is tied into it. But for me, the crux of it was, are people going to know that I existed after that? Yes. Mm. Mm. Right. And and who was raising you? Um, who, yeah, was it, was there your mom, grandma, who, Father, who who are some of the prominent players in that, and how were you met? You you said there was a lot of lack. If you will share a little mm-hmm. bit more about that, but yeah. how were you met? You know, with it wasn't just desires. It was more. It was desires, but it was also why not me? And yes. I also want this. And yes, I'm growing up in a hard and challenging financial place, but mm-hmm. there were other things that you must have been given or that you saw or experienced yes. besides the lack. Can you can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, definitely. So I grew up in my home. Uh, we grew up in, like, the suburbs, so we were, you know, middle class. Um, and I was raised by both of my parents. 
um, and I had my younger brother, who's a couple of years younger than I. So that was kind of like my family dynamic on a daily basis. Um, both of my parents worked. Um, my father worked more like um, mechanical, I guess industrial-type work, you know, factory-type stuff. My mom worked in food service her whole life, and so they were just, you know, working-class people. Um, and we were doing fairly well in comparison, right? Um, and so that was the dynamic. But, but the thing that didn't match was the words that I would hear when I asked a question or when I mentioned what my goals and dreams were, it was, well, that's not how it really works, right? Like, yes, you can do it, but don't get your hopes up that's how it's going to be, right? It was a lot of that because you worked, my mom worked three jobs, right? You worked, and in my family, you got patted on the back or you were rewarded when you worked, 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 worked to take care of your family. And that's what it was, right? And so it was seeing that, and it was knowing that we were doing okay, but wondering why, why wouldn't we be able to get out of that living paycheck to paycheck? Why not us? Like, how come we can't do that, right? And those were the questions that I always wanted to know because I'm like, Mom, you're so intelligent. Like, what did you wish you could be doing? As a kid, I was asking my mom that question. Like, what do you wish you could be doing if you could be doing anything? Oh, my and God. And just because of how her, her her own upbringing, the answer was, well, I don't even know, so I'm not going to spend time, and I need to get ready for work tomorrow. That right, was kind of what it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you relate to that at all or know people like that? You know, it was that. Yeah. Yes. yes, that was for you. Mm-hmm. Are you asking me? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. so she was saying it's like th- that's like a frivolous question. I don't have the luxury to even stop and pause. i got to get to work. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> so lovely question, Absolutely. honey, or, you know, or yes. nice dreaming. Uh, yes. Or um, maybe in another lifetime or, who, you know, but, I, again, I'm just oh, amazed goodness. you were asking yes. these questions at that age. You were just, yeah. you saw like, different options. You saw different I realities. Did. You saw different paths. Yeah. I did. And, and that caused a okay. lot of conflict for me, too, though, because people always felt like I was dreaming. Oh, there she goes dreaming again, right? Okay. And so people always, oh, there she goes again with her head in the clouds. Keisha, the world changer, right, you know, that kind of stuff. And so it caused a lot of insecurities for me. Um, growing up was, well, maybe, and then I got to a point where I go, well, am I, is my head in the, am I thinking, like, too big, right? Like, maybe I'm, you know, I'm not the first one. Maybe I'm just going to be a talker like everyone else. And so it instilled insecurity and also fear in me because I grew up fearing what would happen if I actually did make it and wasn't one of the ones who had to work, 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 and live hand to mouth. I became fearful of what would success do to what my family thought of me, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so that played a lot into my money challenges growing up. I would make money, and then I would give just about everything I made away to whoever needed it, right? It was just enough so that I was doing well, but just enough that I had nothing at the end of the day, right? It's because I was worried they would think, oh, who does she think she is? Oh, well, look at Keisha. She she made it, right? She was the one that made it, and I always, I was fearful of that, and that played a lot into my money insecurities, and it also played a lot into why I was I was always a high earner. When I was 19 in Georgia, I made almost $90,000 a year, right, like at that age in Georgia, right? So for me it was, but you wouldn't have known it because I gave most of it away or I never, I never talked about it, right, because I didn't want people to think, oh, she thinks she's better than us, although it was never that. People with money, this is the mentality for me growing up, People with money think they're better than you. They turn their noses down with you, and that's that. And so I knew that that's what they would think. And so I hid the fact that I was actually earning well, right? 
And so it, Allah had money shame, and therefore I ultimately gave it away. If anybody needed anything, you asked me for a hundred, I gave you a thousand. Here you go, just in case something else comes up, right? And that was kind of how it was. And so I had a lot of insecurities and a lot of shame around this idea of actually being successful with money. Um, and I needed to recreate my own story around it, which I'm learning to now do at my age now. But that was a lot of the money problems that I had because I never understood why can't I do well, right? Like everyone told me I could, but I don't think people actually believed it would happen in just the next generation, right, because it was something that didn't happen to us, right? You had to sell your soul to the devil in order to make it. And so those were all dynamics that I found myself fighting against and trying to fight through as I was getting older. And this is all, you know, this is where we all have our stories and patterns and shame and reactions and responses to where we grew up, you know. And so you were able to figure out how to be a high earner really young. Um, yes. You know, I mean, that's so where a lot of family was working one, two, three jobs to not make that much, right, but just work really mm -hmm. hard. Yes. Um, so yes. what were you, did you have a salaried position? Were you doing marketing um, and had a high salary really young? How were you able to earn high? Was it just yes. schooling and education and skill set? And then I have some questions about the pattern. Okay, yeah. So at that age, I'm going to be honest, I kind of fell into the opportunity. So I was like, at that age, I, I didn't, you could not have gotten me to believe that I couldn't get, I probably could have been president if I wanted to back then, right? My mentality was, well, why can't I, right? So I ended up, I was actually leaving to, I was going to college in Atlanta. Um, I was pre-med at the time, and I'm like, well, let me start working because I lived off campus and, you know, I needed, you know, income and things like that. Um, and so I saw a job advertised. It was actually, I believe, like some kind of like, um, it was almost an in-home in services job. I had no clue, no experience, but I applied for the job anyway. And I remember in my cover letter saying, I'm going to be very honest. I have no clue what this even is, but I guarantee you I'll learn it. Give me a month and I'll, I'll learn it, right? So the lady actually called me back, and she's like, I've never, that was just in my naivete as a kid, right? I didn't know. This was like my first big job that I'm applying for. So the lady herself actually calls me, and she goes, can you tell me something about you? Because I've never seen anybody apply for the job. She's like, honey, you're not experienced to do this. And I'm like, I know, but I'll learn, I and I'll do this, and I'll do this, and I'll, you know, I'm like, I can, I'll read about it, right? This, you know, all that. So the internet wasn't in, in as my, big. In my yet. world, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm Jewish, yes. so we call that chutzpah. Like, you just have <laughs> so much chutzpah. Like, I can do this. I'm going to do this. I'll figure yes. it out. Like, just give it exactly. to me. I, you know? Exactly. I'm like, I wanted to say, look, lady, I'm a college kid. I'm living off campus. I need the money, right? But I didn't. But I'm like, I'll learn it. I'll do whatever, you know. And so she's like, you're not qualified, honey. However, she said, there is something about you. Yeah, she was like, yeah. I have an administrative job. Or do you want it? I said, yes, I'll take it. Mm -hmm. So it just so happens that she was a corporate nurse at one point. Her husband was uh, an engineer, and he had had a catastrophic stroke. And it was actually the job with caring for her husband. Um, they were an affluent black family. Start. Let's start there. I, I had no idea of that when I first started. And these were the first affluent black people that I ever knew, right? So it just opened this whole world up to me. The job was caring for her husband. And so the administrative work was kind of running the staff that helped care for her husband. And I got really good at it, and I was really dedicated to the task. I was a great note taker. I was great at thinking. Right, I could think through a problem quickly, right? That's where that strategist part comes in. Hey, what's the problem? I was the one that, okay, I noticed the problem, but I'm going to try to have two solutions before I bring it to you, right? And so I made myself valuable. Then I became her executive assistant. 
which came with a pay bump. And I think it was about a month after I was there. I was her executive assistant, and now I was working. She had other businesses. So now I was executive assisting for her companies, not just the work of taking care of her husband, right? Um, so while I was doing that, that had a fairly decent salary, but where I got my bump was the ideas and the strategy that I brought to her because I was listening as her assistant. I did her personal life and her business. So as I was getting familiar with what her, what her dreams and goals were, because now that her husband has this catastrophic stroke, he is completely incapacitated. He can't speak. He can only communicate with his eyes, right? So her life is now changing, and she's reevaluating her own goals and her own visions. Um, and I'm listening to her goals, and I come to her regularly with, well, I remember you saying this. I took the liberty of looking up this opportunity, and this is what this is, something you might be able to think about. I did that several times, and she went, you know what? You, this is where I want you. So then she brought me into business development, and that's how that happened. Amazing, amazing, Keisha. So, so I, I could ask so much more about that, but um, I want to move into the pa- the money patterns that this brought up for you. You know, because here you are earning, you know, making a lot of money. Um, you yes. you actually were doing and living what you always said you wanted to do, thought you could do, thought was possible, and it's moving you beyond your family's economic status where they've been, you know, it's moving beyond your family. And then this pattern of as soon as it comes in, you either spend it or you give it away. Um, How long did that last? And what kind of unraveling did you have to do inside to eventually change that pattern? I mean, that pattern can go on for many, many years, you know, Overgiving, yes. or as soon as it comes in, you give it away and you don't save. I mean, that can go on for decades for people. So it sounds like you've been working on that and things have been changing. So I want to know about that, but I also want to know how it's been to, you know, make more than your family of origin. Yes. And how, yes. how you work with that. Yeah. So I want to go back and say one important piece to this puzzle that had to do with this job that I had because it tied into something I mentioned earlier. So I was making about $90,000 a year, but that was not the salary in my position. I was work I was work go, I had a full load 16 hours of college and I was working about 80 hours a week. So let well. me go back there. <laughs> Well, let's just exactly okay. just stop there, you know, that just that. Yes. Yeah, I was so, working about 80 to 85 hours okay. a week. I didn't have to do that. She did yeah. not require me to do that. I would have probably okay. made the same money had I not done that. But I was so worried that I had to prove to my family that, hey, I work hard too. That I would go in when I wasn't even scheduled to do so and actually work. Okay. And when I tell you the amount of burnout that I had, I worked from 5 a.m. until 6 p.m. I went to school from 7 to 10.30 at night, and I came back to work from 11 to 1 Mm. in the morning. And I did that for about two years. And I got, I was absolutely burnt and spent. And I did it because I feel like I needed to prove my value, prove that, well, I'm making this money because I'm working hard, just like everybody else, right? I'm working all the time. Like, I, look, I'm working 80 hours a week, too. Like, that's why I'm making it. it. And I didn't have to. I probably could have worked 50 hours and made the same pay, right? But because growing up, it was those who you didn't, you weren't doing enough if you weren't working around the clock to take care of your family. Right, And so I wanted to come back and bring that point up because I think it's so important, right, because it came to this idea of the feeling worthy around money, right? I didn't feel worthy enough because I was only working 40 hours a week and making $90,000 a year at age 19. So I worked 80. I did double that and made the same money I would have made anyway, right? 
And so that was a really big part of it. And so um, to then transition into the question you asked, I'm still doing that work now of, Keisha, you don't always have to give it all away. I grew up my with two different dynamics. My, I love both of my parents, and their money stories intertwine into mine. My mom was the overgiver. If she had a dollar, she found out how to give you a dollar and ten cents. She'd find the ten cents somewhere, and you'd have it. My father would have $1,000. You would ask him for two, and he would say, oh, I only think I have 50 cents, right? It was a completely different dynamic, completely different. And I remember as a kid thinking, I don't want to be stingy like my father. And so I took on the attributes of my mom, and I gave whatever I had away. And so that dynamic is what continued with me, I'm going to say probably, up until 2016 when my husband went, baby, we need to have a conversation, right? You are working yourself, and then you what? Are, do you have the, any money to do what you want to do with your dream? You want to invest? You want to do this? Like, do you, I'm like, no, why? Oh, because I just did for so-and-so, right? And it was a constant thing of what well, I felt like the love would be, not as strong if I didn't give what people asked. And so that was, it's been literally lifelong. And so like I said, up until probably the end of 2016 um, is when I really started to like have that conversation with myself and go, if people don't love me as much because I won't give them what they want, then we have a bigger problem, right? So it's up until just a last, what, two two years where this is like now an active part that I'm like, and it's, it's still a constant battle. I'm better with it now, but it's still a constant battle of, well, if I say no, then what are they going to think of me? And so it's something that I'm still working through, but that 20, end of, end of 2016, beginning of 2017 is where it kind of came flat on my face like, wait, there's a problem here. Because it's beautiful to give, right? It's beautiful to yes. be generous, but you can overgive. And you can yes. be generous. There, there yes, is and no I want to say one comment about that. Absolutely. I was going to say, Barry, the difference for me, which is why my husband brought it to my attention, was because I got to a point where I despised giving. I was okay. no longer doing it because it felt good to do it. I was doing it because I felt obligated. And I hadn't even noticed that shift had taken place. I was no longer give, giving with a joyful heart, as I say. It was begrudgingly. It got to the point where I scaled back the money I made so that I wouldn't, so that I wouldn't have it to give. I didn't take new clients. I didn't do new business because I knew that if I had it, it would be gone. So it was got to a point where it became detrimental, and it became something that was not done because I was enjoying seeing people happy. I resented it, and I hadn't noticed that that had taken place. And I just feel the love and support from your husband sitting you down and saying, we got to talk about this. Yeah, talk about yes. this. It's time to talk about this. You are uh, forgetting about yourself. You're leaving yourself yes. out of this equation. I can tell this is really not working for you and becoming yes. detrimental. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. So layers to this. Of course it's still going on. You know what I mean? Like, oh, how is it now wrapped up in a nice bow? Tell me the story. <laughs> you know, like... Oh, you know, you're saving all this money and, and, and not giving anyway, you know. So, but there's layers here to um, wanting to prove to your family that you're valuable in the same way, that you work hard because that's such a top value for them. It was with my father as well. I was working yeah. at the age 15 and, you know, he would send me out over weekend and say, go apply to jobs, like six of them and report back and tell me how it is. I was like, okay. You know, Gosh, he, yes, you know yeah, yeah he, hard work was very important. And even 
my sister once said to me, even in the last few years, yeah, you, you don't like to work that hard, do you? And I was like, wow, <laughs> <laughs> wow, you know, it's just different. You know, I don't, yes. you know, not, when you run your own business, mm-hmm. it's different. So my family, yes. perception, and, of, and, and, and so you've had that to work with. Yes. Um, and then the... Wanting to and wanting to give and be generous and it's amazing how it started shifting to this place of really not feeling good and feeling obligatory and just pure obligation and how you started limiting the growth of your business and yes. not taking clients. I mean that. Yes. Are you starting to? look at creating boundaries more of when and where and how you give? Did you start looking at your own numbers a bit more to say, okay, after I tuck this away, whether it's savings or investing or a trip or, I don't know, a pet fund or, yeah, tell me a little bit (laughs) about what you're doing. Yeah. So I'm to be very, very, very transparent. I am just now – at that place where I'm doing something about it, right? I set the boundary in place, I would say, about a year and a half ago. So 2017, I set the boundary in place. You know what? I'm not going to give everything I have. Um, If they ask me and I actually have it in extra and I feel really joyful about giving, I'll give it. The boundary was in place. But I rarely had to use the boundary because I stopped making the money to even have it. So I set the boundary and never had to use it because I didn't do anything about it. I think I was worried that, well, what do I do when it's a person that I love and respect so much? And so I made sure that I didn't have any extra to give. And that's a problem. That's a real problem, right? And so for me now, it is going, getting, I've gotten back into a space where it is, this is what I want for myself, right? I want to make sure that I can have enough to purchase a couple of stocks if I so choose, right? I want to make sure that I have money in my vacation fund or my whatever fund, right? When my husband gets out, he owes me a new wedding, right? So I want to make sure that I have, you know, things set aside. And so for me, it's like, what do I need to pour? What containers, what money containers do I need to pour into when I get paid? And then from there, I'll assess what I have. So for me, I don't allow myself to automatically say, yes, I'll do it. I take a breather and I say, you know what, let me check and I'll get right back with you. And it gives me a chance to get out of the pressure of the moment, right, of the moment. I'm not saying no, but I'm not obligating myself to say yes when I don't know if it's going to feel good or not. And so that's kind of where I am is claiming more of the resources that I have but putting them for specific places. Like for me, Putting money, a pile of money into an account does not work well for me because as long as it's there, I'm going to be like, oh, well, I'll help so-and-so if they they need it. I no longer just give money, right? Like, but if they ask me and it's there, I'll go, well, okay, I guess I have it. So for me, it's allocating it to my containers that are actually going towards something first. Okay. It's for some of us it's so important it needs to be that concrete. If it's just a pile of cash flow, then you you resort to old patterns of yes, you know, you need money, you need this or whatever. Yes, you know. Yes, yes. So I, I yes. love I yes, I love that one you're saying pause, um, give me a little more time. I need to go think about it. Yes. I need to go assess yes. things. I need to go look at my numbers. I'll get back. Like just inserting yes. as you said, a breather, some breath, some time, right? And yes, then, yes. and and now starting to implement implement more of these containers. Okay, this is for this. This is for the trip. This is for mm-hmm. the you know investment fund. This is for the the wedding. This is for the you know yes. just to yes. have it more concrete. It's just it, it, so much. It's more clear. It's more clear. You got the clarity. 
Um, it makes yes. all the difference. Okay, so you Absolutely. have your buckets, you have your containers, yes. you have your name. And I want to say one quick thing to Barry. Yeah. Yeah. Is you mentioned how the the comment of well, I need, let me go. I need to go think about it. Right, that was something that I think a lot of us don't have the courage to say yet. Like I know even for me, saying I need to think about it would be a red flag to my family. Like, well, then you don't really want to do it, and then you get this thing of guilt. So for me, it was you know what? Let me you know let let me check a few things. And I'll get back with you. Right. It was literally that because I realized that's a weakness for me in my communication, right, is I put it completely on me, like, oh, well, let me make sure that I have it kind of thing. I don't say those words, but I think that's what people assume I mean when I say, oh, well, let me check a few things, right? It takes that pressure off without me feeling guilt-tripped or feeling like I'm going back into a cycle, and the cycles are just all little patterns, little addictive patterns that we, we yeah. all have, right, based on how we grew up, based on how we responded and reacted, based on our strengths and challenges and all of it, yeah. Keisha, you have shared so much about your strengths Woo. with us, definitely some of the tender, vulnerable places of what you're actually working on right now and some of the patterns um, that you're just you know, declaring or in the last years declaring this needs to shift, it's not working, and some of the next steps um, that you've put into place. I'm I'm so appreciative of everything that you've shared. But I want to know, is there is there anything else? I mean, you shared so much of your strengths and your work in the world and your definition and experience around legacy and how you help women it sounds like you've you know there even just in your own work and business there's been of course many iterations of being in the corporate world leaving it doing your own work coming out from hiding sharing all of you and then in the last few years another shift um around mm-hmm. where you got to your work because you were just giving it all away and then you start yes. taking on more clients so this, it feels like you've been in a transition and now you're ready to step, like, into a whole next level. I mean, it's, there's always a next level. Um, anything else that you want to share about where you're at, <sighs> money legacy? I see the whole picture, so I know we've ended yes. in a really beautiful, vulnerable um, this is what you're working on, which yes. I'm so grateful for. So thank you, thank you. Thank you. You know, it's interesting hearing you kind of say some of the things back to me, like you even stopped working, you stopped doing your, you know, because you, no one's ever really said it back to me, right? And it's like, wait, what? You just don't realize that pit that you're in, like when you're in it, right? Um, I guess what I would kind of say in wrapping it up and closing it is, one of the things that I'm finding that I'm speaking a lot more about is this idea that often what we're missing is not manifesting what we want necessarily, but it's claiming what we want. I feel like there are many opportunities where if we stop and look at what we have before us, we will realize how many times it was right there and we just didn't claim it, even though in our mind we feel like, well, we didn't manifest it, Right. And so this idea of claiming the money, claiming the success, claiming, you know, the opportunities is, I think, something that more of us could really utilize, you know, in more beneficial ways for ourselves, life, career, or business, relationships included. Um, It's the idea of look for areas where you can actually claim what you have because there's a likelihood that you have received it but you may not have even noticed it because you didn't lay claim to it. So that's where I am in this next level for me is where where am I not claiming the money that I want, right? Where am I not claiming the work with the clients? Where am I not claiming love and sexiness in my life, right? Those are things that I'm really watching out for, especially in this year right now. In this coming year, as your husband is coming home. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> as your husband is coming home. And my yes. sense 
with you is like the clients are all right there. You just you just turned off the valve. Like you're the one who you know mm. put it on pause, put it on hold, because um, you just walked yes. into the room. And everyone's like, hey, <laughs> who's that? Oh, that's so sweet. I wanna, yeah, you, I want to work with her. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah you're very Oh, bright. my goodness. And thank strong. you, Barry. Oh, yeah. Thank yeah. you for these. Thank you for having these important, important, important conversations. Because oftentimes women and men, we just don't feel safe sharing. And you have created a container that feels safe and transparent, and it feels like it's doing for the greater good, right? And I love that. So thank you for this container that you have developed here. Thank you. You're very welcome, and it was such an honor to have you. Thank you so much for sharing your stories and sharing you. Thank you. Thank you for joining me with this Money Memoir interview. I really hope you found something here to take with you, whether it was a lesson, some inspiration, or even just a little grace for yourself and where you are in your money journey. If you're feeling called to wade deeper here, please pack your financial goals, soul deep aspirations, and grab your favorite person. The Art of Money is a holistic framework that integrates money healing, money practices, and money maps and blends therapeutic body-based practices with real-life tools that we all need to create healthy, sustainable change in our money lives. So if you'd like to begin your money healing journey with the art of money today, learn more at barrytesler.com.